All right, we are here with the one and only Chief John Toom. Chief Toom, how are you doing today? Good. Sir? Thanks for introducing me the way I, I asked. I you know I always I always make sure I'm introduced right. that way. Listen, <laughs> every man, public you know, setting. He slipped me the money under the table. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. no, I'm excited. Now, I, obviously, that's your proper title, and uh, we want to make sure that we honor that. But you yep. know, I've known you as John for a lot longer than I've known you as Chief. Yep. And uh, which which is exciting for me. I would like to say I called I called this a long time ago. Well, well, there we go. Maybe you you probably knew before I knew then. Maybe so. We're just gonna put it out there in the yeah. world, man. Well, yeah. You got to manifest it. But you know, it's a big thing, man. It's not a. It's it's rare that there is the, the type of excitement or a, a, a appreciation for a hire in a position like yours. It just doesn't normally come with. Yeah, no. yeah, you're, you're correct. You're correct, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a heavy proposition, right? Yeah, you know, you're like, oh, okay. Um, I, not that I try to read too much press. I'm like, well, this is universally very positive. Yeah. In a time when we're we're often kind of negative. Yeah. And uh, it just makes me look at this position and the trust that's been put out there. Uh, not that I didn't value that already or understand that, but it certainly emphasized it mm -hmm. even further that you know the community cares. Yeah. On many levels, and um. I'm just excited for what the future holds, knowing that not everything will always be smooth because in certain professions, there's just stuff you got to deal with. Stuff goes up, yeah. stuff goes down. And, you know, last week, another example, you just don't know what's going to happen mm -hmm. and then how we manage through that. So, like I said, but it's an exciting time to be in this position, uh, especially in the city I grew up in and, and just kind of go forward from here. Yeah, well, it, well it, this, this was especially rare in the sense that both of the finalists, the other being Lieutenant Cook, were well thought of. Yep. <laughs> like people yeah. were yeah. pretty excited. That's super rare. Yeah, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's a testament to um, uh, our predecessor, Chief Burns, mm -hmm. and before him, Chief Barthel. Uh, they're, they're always looking at the team, looking down the bench, and saying, yeah. okay, who's there? And whether we knew it or not, how can we prepare them or prepare multiple people? for the chance should it come their way. And, and I think that's just a testament to them and some of their forward thinking. You often heard them say, always be training two of your replacements mm -hmm. or, or two people to replace you. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a, that's a good mantra as we look at our, our, uh, how we organize our organizations and go forward. No, for sure. There's a lot going on. Before we get into the position of it, let's, let's talk with the person. Uh, give us a little background on you. Give us the... Sure. Cliff and, notes. and so, yeah, cliff notes, because I can I can extend this <laughs> into an entire podcast if you want me to. My dad was a preacher, so just give me a mic. Right, I'll, I'll right. fill up the time. No, born and raised in Sioux Falls. Um, you know, uh, 1979 was when I was born. Some people are like, are you too young? I'm like, well, I'm f almost 42. I guess that depends right. how you look at age, if right. that's young or old, you know. And then, um, but grew up here, went to Longfellow, Lowell, Axtell Park, Lincoln High School. Let's and go. Grew up in... Pretty much All Saints was my first neighborhood, and then Pettigrew was my second neighborhood yeah, yeah. where I grew up. And um, after going, you know, th just doing the, the normal Sioux Falls kid things, right? I had a job at Hy-Vee, had a shopping news route, mm -hmm. had an Argus leader route. Um, but then after I uh, went to Lincoln High School and then went to University of Sioux Falls, got a business degree because I had to pick something. Mm -hmm. I was primarily more interested in playing football, right? And my dad was campus pastor there, so I got a tuition break. So there wasn't too much question as to right. where I was going to college, <laughs> right? Uh, and so got a business degree, met my future wife there, got done, and 
always felt this pull and this this uh, call towards law enforcement mm-hmm. early on as a little kid. Most kids, you ask them what they want to be, it's either a professional athlete, a firefighter, or a police officer, yep. right? So I was always the police officer. That's always what I wanted to be. And I just never wore off, I guess. I just yeah. always kept something that I'm like, yeah, no, that's really what I want to do. What do you think drew uh, you to it? Uh, it's always a sense of, of service. Mm. So I looked at my uh, my dad was in the reserves. Both my grandparents were veterans, one World War II, one Korean War. And I'm like, I'd listen to them talk, and they'd always talk about what drove them was service. Mm. And then growing up through church, uh, they used to make us take these little tests, you know, like what your, your gift inventory yeah, might yeah. be. And mine always came back to service. It always came back to something service-related. Yeah. And that set on my heart, like, okay, if a profession, if I'm looking for a profession, I wanted to know that it was in some sort of service to my community or to somebody mm-hmm. else. And that's where I found fulfillment within work or for within uh, like mission projects or stuff we did at church or in school growing up. It was always like, if service was there, I felt like that's where I was called to be. Mm-hmm. But in college then, I got this business degree and I'm going to get married. There's a certain stability to yeah. Monday through Friday, eight to five, which I knew did not exist in public safety. It's just it's Monday through Friday, eight to five is not not on the cards. So I'm like, well, I'll work this sales job. So I got a sales job after college, after getting turned down by numerous businesses in town. I had a marketing emphasis with my business degree. <laughs> so any college kid who's got that, they're like, oh yeah, I'm sure some of these agencies will hire me. For sure. For sure. <laughs> like, For sure. I got the degree. I got what they, hey, they wanted me to do. They would hire you now. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Put some applications out there. Yeah. And then uh, just had no luck finding a job. But I was, I was working at Hy-Vee cutting meat the whole time. So I had that going. And a couple months after college, still not finding what I... Thought. How long were you at Hy-Vee? You, you were pretty famous at the butcher shop. Hy-Vee, 33rd in Minnesota from 1995 to when I got hired at the police department in 2005. In fact, my last day at Hy-Vee was a week before I, I started at the police department. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah, so a little over 10 years. And then, um, but we were talking about, you know, not really finding a job in the mm-hmm. business world that really clicked with me. And um, going through, and even like a well-known, one of my friends from college, he's like, hey, man, Go apply at this rental car place. It's a great place. They got some progressive stuff here. And I'm like, they can get you through the hiring hiring process and there's incentives and things like mm-hmm. that. People make pretty good careers in this business. So I applied there and they turned me down. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now my ego is badly yeah, bruised at this yeah, point. You know, yeah. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a good worker. I work at Hy-Vee. I got the I'll always show up. I'm I'll solid. always, I'll always yeah. put my effort in, you know. And uh so then it got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna apply for a, one of the banking places in town in another sales job. And I, I kind of knew if I went that bank route, mm-hmm. I'm a, a loyal employee, mm-hmm. I'd probably never get out, right? Because yeah, I, just, sure. I would just keep working mm-hmm. and do what I was supposed to do. Well, this other sales job came up at my buddy's dad's place. And I'm like, well, I'm going to take that sales job because keeping in mind that I knew kind of where my heart was right. being called, like I could probably get out of that job maybe or walk away from that job easier. But I took that job with my friend's dad's company and like, you will work this two years, no matter what, like, Oh, you will not quit on this job Mm. because everything deserves a fair shake in your best effort. Mm. And then you'll reassess from there, but you cannot quit. You will work two years, no matter what. (laughs) So got started the job within weeks. I knew it wasn't for me. (laughs) Right. Not because I was treated poorly, not because it was anything like there was opportunity for me to, to, Mm -hmm. to really, do the sales thing and really make it bigger. But I just knew it wasn't what I was called to do. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go over to the bathroom and vomit. 
right? Because they were just feeling in my yeah. stomach that I was not where I was supposed to be. Yeah. But I forced myself to do it for two years and about halfway through, about a year and change over, uh, my wife's like, you know, you seem pretty miserable in this job. <laughs> like you would be correct. <laughs> and she had a journalism degree from University of Falls yeah. too, and she was doing something different. I'm like, you don't seem very happy with your profession either. And she goes like, no, nah, I'm not. And she said to me like, why don't you go ahead and pursue law enforcement? And she's like, I'm going to go back and go to uh, cosmetology school. Yeah. She wanted to do hair before she went to college. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we both just like, okay, well, I'm doing two years at this job. Yeah. But I'll start the application process before started the application process. Quit exactly on my, well, quit two months before. I gave two months notice because I want to be respectful to my employer. Yeah. And then left two years after I started that job. And a couple months later, finished the hiring process with the police department and got hired. She went back to cosmetology school. Got got her degree, started doing hair. We so we both just kind of pivoted right after yeah. college and went where we thought we were being led. That's big though, you know. That's a real relationship right there. You know what I mean? Like people gloss over those type of things, but like the ability to be able to look at the person that you're that you love and that you care about, and then see that they're not happy, and not only do that, but also give each other permission to go pursue it. Yeah, like that's a really big deal. Yeah, it's hard too because there's. And we had the luxury of doing that before we had kids. Mm -hmm. Well, now you had kids and like the financial stability that has to be there in order to provide for your family may keep you from being able to make that decision, for sure. which is hard. But so we, we thankfully figured that out before we, we had our three kids. And, um, but again, it's, it's something that you have to kind of make your assessment as a couple and go for it. Because honestly, if my wife hadn't backed me, like it'd be hard, it's hard to be one about any business really, yeah. without your, your spouse's support. Mm -hmm. But in particular, this one, because the job is, sure. has taken a lot from her and my yeah, family. For and sure. So there has to be some understanding on that. Yeah, that's a big thing. Let, let's, maybe, let's maybe talk about that a little bit because, again, there's the official title and all the stuff that goes through it. But the, the thing that I fear sometimes that doesn't – we dehumanize people on either side of the, the – Oh, yeah. Well, we'll just say the law for, for, for the sake of this conversation. We either <clears> – <throat> make people criminals so whatever happens to them doesn't matter. Yep. Or we make people deities so nothing can happen to them. Sure. And either way, you're dehumanizing people. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? Like you're either making it so this person is infallible and nothing happens to them and they don't have any challenges and they don't have yep. normal home stuff and family stuff and all the other things yep. that affects how a person does their job. And then over here, you, you, you think about people as they're just a, a thing that they did versus somebody who did a thing. Yep. Um, how do you manage that? And especially was in regards to the wife, because you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're a career law man. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so, a lot of people do this, but you did this. So in, in talking, you know, to my wife, we, we talked about it early on. And, and to say that it's easy mm -hmm. would be an absolute lie, because... We're all human beings. Sure. We all have frustrations. And the, the thing with just, you know, being called out in the middle of the night regularly, mm -hmm. having your schedule constantly disrupted, uh, leaving her with the kids at inopportune moments, or mm -hmm. just completely having this, like, like it's, it's a struggle. Like, it's, it's a, it takes a human toll. And it's not just showing up or even just stuff that happens at work that is somewhat, to be honest, I think they say, I could get the stat wrong, but the average human being has two traumatic events in their life. Mm -hmm. The average law enforcement officer witnesses about 80, right? And how that affects you and how it goes, like without the support component at home, it's, it's really, really difficult. And 
And I think we, we lose sight of the people on everything. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's either the position or, or the offense in this mm-hmm. circumstance you're talking about. But, but I think, you know, it's one of my stories about impact and kids. And so my wife and I had the luxury where, um, she would work on my days off. Okay. Right? So my days off were always Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when I had 10 hour shifts. Yeah. Right? So it was really cool because I got to be home with the kids mm-hmm. and she'd be at work. But we never see each other because we're doing this flip-flop of, For of sure. trying to take care of our family, take care of our finances, finding daycare, doing all this different things mm-hmm. just didn't work. So one day, like I said, I'd been at work a lot because especially with those midweek days off, you sometimes have to go in and got my kids who were five, I think about six, four, and three at the time, I think mm-hmm. they were. And I'm like, hey, tomorrow's dad's days off. Days off. We're going to do something super special. Like, it'll be a surprise. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I'm building this up because this is my proud dad moment. I want to go out and take him, you know, mm-hmm. and have some time with the sons. And uh, I think it was Secret Life of Pets 2, maybe, or, or some movie was coming yeah, out yeah. in the theater, right? So I was going to get him in the car and take him to Secret Life of Pets. Is that the one where uh, Kevin Hart's the rabbit? Yeah. Or whatever? <laughs> yeah, okay. So okay. It was, okay. I think it was the original Secret Life okay. of Pets. I love the movie. Really good movie. And uh, get the kids in the car, and we're pulling out of the driveway, and... um. I'm like, we're going to see Secret Life of Pets because they had seen the previews and they were pretty pumped. Got two blocks from the house and my SWAT pager went off, <sighs> right? So two blocks from my house and the, and the pager goes off. So I just built this up, this crescendo for these kids, got them all excited. And it's like, hey, I'm sorry, dad has to go to work. You know, so they start crying. And what other response do they have, right? Because there's just kids. They don't right. understand don't the know. complexity of this. But I'm looking at the page on my phone. I'm like, no, this is like, you don't get to not go to a SWAT call out because mm-hmm. if it's reached that point, then this is your profession. This SWAT. is what you do, right? So I dump my kids off with my mom. Mm-hmm. I think scramble and call my mom. Get to even have there. a mom, like yeah. even have somebody to, to even do that. But yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I've got, so I call my mom. I'm like, hey, I just need you at my house now. Please watch the kids so I can go deal with this and drop them off and just completely disappointed them. So mm-hmm. I go to this call with just this empty feeling, right? Because yeah. I disappointed my kids mm-hmm. because of the profession. Now, granted, this is not a poor me story. But right? it's, it's relevant, <laughs> but, though. But it's relevant because this is kind of like the inner workings of what certain careers do for mm-hmm. you and your family, you know? And it's not just that, again, the stability of Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, just simply isn't there. Mm-hmm. And go out, handle the call, come back. Kids, you know what? Completely forgiven by the time I got home, right? Because mm-hmm. they're your family and they care for you and they love you and your kids just see you and and want to spend time with you. So we, we made it up. We went and got ice cream or something like that when yeah. I got home a couple hours later. But again, so this is, but we lose sight of everybody is mm-hmm. a human experience. Like, especially, especially like you said, in this situation, the criminal, yeah. right? Like, what about their family? And what about, like, if you're using that word, like you're already saying, okay, this is the person, but what about that person who's made that mistake? Right. And who's done that thing, but the story behind that person. And we get so polarized because we just grab onto arguments to have with each other that we kind of lose sight of the human being in that experience. It's circumstances. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, one thing we know, we know all of these things about humans. We know hurt people hurt people, and we know yep. people who don't have enough take. Whether yep. perception, whether it's how they perceive it or how you perceive it, real, fake, whatever. We know that those are the circumstances in which yep. people do things. 
And for me, what's always so frustrating is, is that we're not considerate about the circumstances. And if I want to change a person's behavior, I have to be considerate about them, their circumstances. And I believe that both for people who commit crime and I believe that both for, for people in law enforcement. If I want these people to behave differently, I want to be thoughtful about their circumstances. What's the situation yep. that you're in? Well, what is driving you to this behavior? If it, it, is it because you don't have a complete home? Is it does it because you don't have community support? Is it because you don't have resources or whatever it is? And then as much as is reasonable to affect that, I want to do that. Flip side, law enforcement, do you have ways to decompress? Do you have ways to uh, uh, be healthy with your family and have the type of leadership and mentorship and and engagement um do you have a brain trust that you can go to community support that way if you don't have those things on either one of those sides having the expectation that they function well is criminally naive nope and, and there's a lot in between those two extreme those two situations right mm -hmm. and i think we've seen you know um again you talk about how supporting each side of that and in our department you know we just today we hired three new officers and mm -hmm. One's brand new out of college. The other one just out of college, worked corrections for a little bit. The other one, they're 22, 23 years old. The other one's in his 30s, mm -hmm. did time in the Marine Corps, right? a completely different experience, but they're all brand new to the profession. So we assign them each a mentor as soon as they, even before they walk through the door, mm -hmm. right? And today was we welcomed them, multiple people into the room, trying to build up that structure, invite their families into our department. Uh, trying to like again provide those resources and those thoughts and the things that go along with it, because it's not an easy road. Mm -hmm. And if we don't support people, no matter where they're at in life, with resources and things to help them be successful, why would we expect? Why would we expect them to be? For sure, right? They're only going to get there then on their on their own hard work, which is great, right? 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 We want people to get there on their own hard work. We want to support them on their way and provide them the stuff to get there. And I think it's just again something we try to really simplify because our minds like simple mm -hmm. things. But it's rather complex to 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 get into. There's a lot there. Well, it's just you know, uh, if you want bad for people, you want bad people. Yeah, that's just the bottom line. Like if you are ever get comfortable with the idea of people being in a bad situation, yeah, you also have to develop some comfort with what that produces. Yeah, and that's just not gonna work out right. We were just um, uh, one of the graduates of our leader uh, leaders of tomorrow program. Uh, Angela Shuffman, she um, works with some folks in the prison, um, and she leads a, or she helps uh, with a Toastmasters group that they have in there. Yep. So had an opportunity to go in there with the mayor and some other folks. And you're looking at these um, folks in there, some of whom have committed murder since being incarcerated. Yep. Right? Like, the, the, these are not, you know, there's real stuff that's happening here. This is not just you know, running the mill stuff. But like what you realize is, is that when you hear these folks developing the skill of being able to articulate, express themselves, to be able to communicate, you see in that process them developing tools to manage the type of things that drive somebody to do these kind of things. That's not to excuse any of it, but it's simply to say that when you can express yourself verbally, when you can express yourself through art, when you know how to do all those things, when you find different ways to get people to understand what you mean or to be able to decompress or to be able to, those are the type of things that people get an opportunity to lean on to keep them from doing crazy things. My thing is always for people is like, what if you were guilty of your first thought? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Once it's there, you're yep. open to doing it. Yep. There's just things that happen that help you bring your energy down, do something different, say, no, I can never do that. Why could you never do that? Because my mother would feel this way. My father would yeah. be ashamed. Da, da, da. There are things that keep you from actually engaging in on that first thought. But if you could be held guilty from your first thought. I think we'd all be in jail. We're out of here. Everybody's <laughs> out of here. We're all done. Everybody's yeah. out of here. So this idea that it's just about being above it, I think is different than the idea of being beyond it. Being yeah. that I've worked through a process that allows me to. I don't know if you know, I, I had coffee with Angela. and uh, Yes, she mentioned Yes, yeah, so we talked about it. Well, I had a cider because I was already well caffeinated <laughs> that day. And I, I like some apple cider. But, uh, but listening to her talk about that experience with that group. Yes. And I've got a future date to go. Yes. I was hoping to go, but I was out of town for a soccer tournament with my kid. Which, by the way, I love going and watching my kids play soccer. It's, it's a great escape. But that's a sidebar. But listening to her talk about that program. She's on fire. Man. And She's I got fire. done and I'm like, I'm like, thank you. Yes. Right? Because yes. so many people just, they talk a big game, yep. right? And they have everything and all these ideas, but rarely get out. And for her, her work and they're just, just showing up and doing it. And she just jumped headfirst into it. And what it's developed into is phenomenal. And, and I think it's, it's easy to dehumanize people in that situation mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. um, it's just, I don't know, it's our nature. Um, mm -hmm. My dad was prison chaplain at the South Dakota oh, State yeah. Pen, like early 90s. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, he, he would talk to me about his life, the lifers. And the lifers that were the ones that came up and and helped him into the chapel did different things. And this is back when they had the West Farm, West of Town, where lifers were even eligible to leave the walls and go work mm -hmm. and do things. And and I, I learned early on just from talking about his experience, just that these were people who had made mistakes. Mm -hmm. And dad, you know, would talk about it. And then eventually, you know, we'd have prisoners stop by the house. And uh, one of my favorite stories is I I lent one of them my Raleigh bicycle that I got mm -hmm. at the bike barn. It's my paper route money because I was in high school at this yeah. point. And he's like, hey, this guy needs a bike just to get around a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, you can take my bike. Like, I don't need any more. Right. I'm too cool to bike, right? Right, <laughs> got, right. I've right. got a car. Right, 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 right. right. So, I got a car. So, but just having those experiences early on kind of opened my eyes to, okay, yeah. well, what's the story behind the story on this? And my dad still talks about these guys and how impactful they were on his life when many people would probably just write them off because, mm -hmm. yeah, that guy killed a guy or that guy yeah. did this. Um, but there's more to that story. And I think, again, the work she's doing, because you're it's right. Big. Right? And, yeah, these guys may never get outside the walls. And nobody nobody, nobody yeah. elected her. Yep. She wasn't hired. She didn't get anointed. She saw an opportunity yep. for her to go do a thing, and then she went and did the thing. And then if, if anybody asked her, well, what are you doing about the problem? I'm like, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you, I, you know what, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not normally, I, every once in a while if I get into a thing on Facebook or something like that, somebody yeah. says, well, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm like, let me tell you. Oh my God, I thank you so much. Well, because I do want people to be challenged by that idea. You know, for me, I, I, I had a, I grew up in, a, my, my family was a foster family. So most of my siblings are adopted. Um, uh, and, and, and even my family were foster family. So a lot of my family members are adopted in. Um, some, you know, uh, came and went in a normal foster environment, yep. but you're talking about young people who went through like such disgusting levels of trauma, yeah. you know what I mean? I really do genuinely make you question humanity, like what is going yeah. on? But 
when you live with folks like that, and especially when you're the a biological child, and you you start to recognize that the, these folks require more attention and energy and love and reinforcement, and you gotta let that person know that when you go into another room, yep. you're going to come back. Much yep. less leave the house. Yeah. When you go into another room and a person has separation anxiety, that's crazy. Um, but you also have to deal with the struggle of saying, well, I am your child. Why wouldn't you yep. focus on me until you start to realize, like, they need it. They have to have mm-hmm. it. Like, I have, I was a pretty well-adjusted kid, but you're dealing with people who have these things. And then you say to yourself, what happens to a person that experiences this that doesn't get taught how to move through this? Yeah. And that's where my thing is, is where we love children until they grow up. <laughs> and yeah. then we don't have anything to do with them. How do, you, how do you manage that? Because there's a certain brand around it. You know what I mean? Because we all watched, you know, the uh, um, you know, cops and all of those other type of things. And, and when you were watching those things, the way it was always framed up was somebody would come over, they would talk to a person, the officer would be being cool. And the person who was getting arrested would be so obnoxious, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that by the time you got to the break or whatever, you'd be like, will you arrest this? Yep. Yeah. Jer-. So everybody who got arrested asked for it, deserved it, blah, blah, blah. And it was just really easy to be this side, that side. Yep. When you actually have to like confront the human aspect of it, when you are having regulars and you and you get to de- get into the details of it, where it's yeah. like mental health here, you know, um, hunger here, schizophrenia, this person yep. is in an abusive relationship, whatever, and you get into the crux of it. How do you start to manage? How do you develop a mindset? to keep putting, being put in those engagements. Oh yeah, so as you develop in your law enforcement career, and the other thing too is like, people have this misconception that, oh, you get out of the academy or you get out of field training and you just have it all figured out, <laughs> right? Right. Well, I challenge you that a, a five to 10 year teacher is far better than a two year teacher or most sure. often than not. Some have just this natural aptitude or ability. Mm-hmm. We all, always learn lessons along the way and we get this. And, and I think you start to realize, I think as a young officer, you're like, okay, here's my job. I'm going to go out and do it. Like, I need to fix this and fix this. But then you quickly realize that, oh, this is way more complex mm. than what law enforcement is really designed to solve. We really don't, we're dealing with symptoms, not causes. And like, okay, so let's just take the homelessness and some of the, the transient mm-hmm. issues we have in town. It doesn't take long to f- realize that alcohol and mental health are really what's driving that issue and really what's making it something. And as a police officer, it's like, yeah, I don't, I can't fix that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I can enforce what society has mandated for these laws to be, but I can't fix this. And then it becomes this mature understanding that, okay, none of this is really personal, mm. right? Like these are all human beings and mm-hmm. these are all people that, that deserve really, I mean, we have to do our job, but we for also sure. have a different element that goes along with it. There's this one guy. And I won't say his name, but he was a downtown guy forever. And um, he got out of the pen. He's a pretty big dude. <laughs> he liked, liked to drink. You didn't really want to mess with him. Yeah. Uh, but you talk to him sober enough times, you realize, oh, man, this, this guy's really pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, he, 
he had the tendency though to to beat up his significant other quite mm. a bit within this uh this transient environment. But I saw him one day and it's cyclical. You deal with him again and again and again. Right. And I'm like, and I saw him go in and it was cold. He had no gloves on. So I kept an extra pair of gloves in my trunk and I just gave him my gloves, right? Put mm-hmm. his gloves on, thanked me, moved along our way, didn't say much of it. But my relationship with him from that point different was way different. He just was always really just willing to talk to me mm-hmm. like I was a human being. Mm-hmm. And, he, and I recognized, you know, that as well. So we had normal conversations. Now, when he was super drunk, it was different. Of course. But we would get through another year. By the next winter, I see him again. And he's like, hey, man, I need some gloves again. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, let me go get you some. Right? So I went and bought him some gloves. And we had this relationship kind of going forward where we just understood we were both kind of in situations that really weren't going to change. Because mm-hmm. I didn't really have the ability to change his situation. And, and he had his stuff going on. But we at least had this common ground mm-hmm. and understanding of how we were going to interact with each other. And I think you can't have the luxury of developing that with every single person you're going to no. deal with, but you can take the mindset of, okay, what's the, what's the rest of the story on this? And what can we do to really have this relationship? But also maybe can you trust me enough that I'm like now, mm-hmm. like, hey, man, just go to the link and just ask right. about this. Well, and there's or a nuance that. of understanding yeah. that, like, you're not a cure yeah. Like, this is not going to be solved this way. And it's one of those things where it's like, but that relationship, some people say, well, that person didn't end up in cuffs or that person didn't end up in jail, whatever. Thus, we fail or we didn't do whatever. But them being incarcerated is not the goal either. What we're doing is mitigating a lot yep. of these things. Because if you didn't talk to him, if he couldn't relate to you, if he yep. couldn't engage with you, who knows what could have happened. Yep. And people can see what they lose, it's hard for them to see what they save. You guys don't get credit for the lives no. that don't ever get lost. Yeah. People want to see what you do afterwards, but that's not how you want to measure this. Well, and it takes a tremendous amount of effort to make a change in somebody's life. Huge. Tremendous amount of effort. Another example was, and again, some years ago, we had a guy, he was on our top 10 list of nuisance crimes, mm-hmm. right? which means passing out drunk at the come and go or mm-hmm. getting picked up. He was one of the top 10 consumers of ambulance services, fire services, yeah. emergency rooms. Like he just was a chronic alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes, we sometimes in our world where we talk about methamphetamine and fentanyl and heroin and all these other drugs, we just kind of like to gloss over the fact that alcohol is probably the most destructive drug Hello. in society. That's right? totally true. Like, and so we would have a way different look at this guy if he was addicted to these things. But because it's alcohol, it's his vice, we're there. So finally, we're like, we got to do something. So we have a meeting with a police officer, me, uh, Lutheran Social Services, because he was a, a refugee status at one point. Uh, the county, um, a few other stakeholders were like, well, how can we really impact this guy? Multiple meetings, mm-hmm. n- lots of money, <laughs> finding him mm-hmm. a place to live, stabilizing everything, holding him accountable, visiting him, finding him a job, finding him transportation. But at the end of it, he had actually kicked a lot of his issues, mm-hmm. right? Was fully employed, had a house, no police calls for service for him, no ambulance services, nothing. Like, he made it mm-hmm. to agree. Now, did he fall off the wagon a couple times? I can never remember if he fall off the wagon or get on it. When you, no, yeah, he fall off it. <laughs> you fall off, but right? it's a fact. But, but there now was a support because his family had taken him back yeah. and put him in a position. But that took a tremendous amount of efforts and a collaborative effort between numerous stakeholders to just create one story of success. Yeah. And I think sometimes they're like, well, is that enough? I'm like, that's enough for me. 
<laughs> because I'm not naive enough to think that we can we can change everybody's circumstance. Right. And I think we're just one piece of this bigger part of a community. Like, and again, I'm like, well, what's the what's other community stakeholders? If we're talking about homelessness problem, there it is. This is not a law enforcement problem. Yeah. Right. This is a community problem. Yep. And a community collaboration. It's not just a city government problem. City government plays a role, right? But yeah. we all play a role in, in working this out a little bit and seeing if we can impact some change. Because opening up more beds isn't going to solve the issue. For sure. It's, it's just going to fill. You, you'll fill, you'll fill yeah. capacity. That is, that is. Yep. So, so speaking of that, because we're in an interesting place right now where like I hear people talk about, I hear people talk about crime or I hear people talk about safety. And coming from where I come from and seeing, it, seeing what you've seen, I think we would define that differently than some other people would. And a lot of it is optic. A lot of it is based off of comfort. Yeah. It's, it's based off of convenience versus based off of this real premise of communal living where you even have any expectation that everybody behaves that you want to do yeah. bizarre. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, literally, you get to do what you want to do. The laws and rules that we have are so we can do it together yeah. within reason so we don't um, impose ourselves on other people. And so when you have a situation where there's real career panhandlers or whatever out there that are, you know, a nuisance or whatever, that type of thing. Mixed in with people who are genuinely homeless and those type of things. And for a lot of people, when I hear them talking about it, they're talking about it with the optics. I don't want to see that. I don't want to have to yep. deal with that. I don't want, not necessarily that anybody even did anything wrong to them. You hear people talk about not feeling safe because somebody's standing at the end of the block as if that person yep. doesn't get to stand at the end of the block. Yep. And that's just how you feel. So how do you balance the, especially now as chief, how do you balance the perception of these things in the convenience where I want to have a utopia that doesn't have anything I don't want to see, anything that I don't like, anything that doesn't, that lowers my property value or makes me feel uncomfortable versus the type of community you want to have in a good old USA yep. where people get to, for most part, do what they want. Yep. It's, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's managing expectations sometimes and really confronting with some realities. If you look at our calls for service chart, which is in our population chart, mm -hmm. like there's not a crazy spike. It's a continued trend line where they both run parallel to each other. As our community grows, we proportionally grow with issues and calls for service. For sure. Like there's not this crazy spike, I think, that people perceive. Because <laughs> right. It's going they, to hell in a handbasket. Right? right? The other piece, too, is like it's, if you look at, at that, it's really just understanding. Some people as they complain about certain issues or, you know, lodge complaints, I guess you know, they complain about them, right? They don't even understand some of the First Amendment or the rights that are afforded to people. Mm -hmm. So it really becomes an education piece. And also circling back to the remarkable, like our city is remarkably safe for a city of 200,000 people. Remark, one of the safest places on the planet of the earth for the history of it. Or like re remarkably safe because of the community's work in our partnership with the police department to make sure we maintain that quality of life. Now, these are all fragile balances, right? They require attentiveness and make sure we're on it and make sure we're, but it's not just a police initiative, it's an everybody initiative. Mm -hmm. Again, what are you doing to impact your community is the question that could be asked. So it's really the education piece, the understanding piece. And yeah, like as far as the panhandling thing, it's their right to do that. You need to understand just because it makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There's a point when it becomes criminal and there's a point when it's when it's a legal activity, but understand that even if it's criminal, 
it's a low misdemeanor. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not like this is like right. going to cause any change if we right. locked everybody up and threw them in the jail. They'd just be out the. the like next some few people hours don't today. want them to be able to ask, so they don't have yeah. to say no. And it's like say yeah. no and keep moving. Like in, in from from our standpoint, like we just and we put out PR pieces mm-hmm. for several years now, and just that we've seen how panhandling leads to, especially in that core neighborhood, just the exacerbation of the alcohol consumption mm-hmm. and problems that go along with it. And then the alcohol, it's not just the alcohol consumption, it's the assaults, uh, sexual mm-hmm. violence, mm-hmm. and other things that come mm-hmm. along with the alcohol consumption, mm-hmm. right? Which is why like, we're like, okay, if we're giving funds out, out the window, just be realistic about where they're ending up, but also think about how you could impact your community. Maybe not just with money, but maybe mm-hmm. with action and maybe with education. Are you getting in and really understanding some of the core issues that are there, some of the things that are there? We, again, it's, it's a, a really complex issue. And we always, like, we have this thing of just like trying to cut out the middle part in between and just get to the end result. <laughs> right. Like, it, it, it's just not there. It's like, it's just something we'll always be dealing with, we'll always be managing. And again, we as a community define our response to that within yeah. the confines of what's legal and what's not. Again, I would love to see, we, we've got this shelter set up. I would love to see more transitional housing, like more caseworker driven. Mm-hmm housing outside of the core area right which for sure like the concentration is just there we can't and the, it's, yeah, the it's too great of a burden for any yeah for eight one, square blocks eight square blocks and like okay well, what are we doing that's outside the box we have this veterans tiny house project mm-hmm. which they're gonna be breaking ground on soon well what what is that i mean we've done a lot of research on it but what does that look like if we take that same and apply it to to felons right right people who get out of the pen have the best of intentions but maybe not the resources or ability to find housing or find work because it's a unique time in Sioux Falls mm-hmm. with the the um, uh, a lot of the staffing issues. If you get out or do anything, if you're willing to work hard, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, like there's there's so, some job opportunities that can good really things expand. happen. Yeah, good things happen. You know, mm-hmm. and I think, um, but we just can't. Again, I maybe even if I want to give my money. I want to give it so they can open up more beds right. somewhere and keep people out of my sight. Well, that's not really that mindset, right? Yeah. Like, wait, like it's got to be uh, ideas that are a little bit outside of the box that maybe will cause some more yeah. change. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, speaking of switches and thinking in terms of yep. legality, the, the, probably the biggest one coming up is marijuana. That's yeah. that's transitioning right now. Marijuana is an interesting thing for me because I am. I would probably put myself in the in the space of somebody that is. Um. Uh, I'm I'm pretty constitutional. I think yep. I believe in that, but I'm a uh, you know I believe in the, the social dynamics. Um, really, in reality, supersede the other stuff. But I am a firm believer in you know a person's right to do right. Yes, yep. And so now that this becomes uh, available, you know. We're in this thing where now, as it becomes legal medically and it gets worked out recreationally, this is my shift. When a thing has been a scourge for whatever, for however yeah. long, you now you have this thing where people have to create a mind shift. And there's still stigma and things of that nature. And I was talking to some folks because I'm really uh, engaged in downtown. And as people were talking about you know, what we need to do. And, and I heard people talking and they were like, you know, we can't let them do this and we can't let them be here. We can't let them do that. And I thought it was so interesting because it sounded like it was still illegal in terms of that piece of it. Yeah. And, and my yeah. thing was, it's like, that's where you have to start to be able to solve things for that person. 
That person is gaining a right. How do you solve it for that person? Because if you don't solve it for that person, if you don't make it reasonable and uh, uh, for that person, they're not going to adhere to any type of, they're going to do whatever yep. anyway. Yep. Um, what is, how are you all planning for that? Because I got to tell you, from a legal standpoint, beforehand, when people would talk to me about it, their, their thought, the, the logic was always because it was legal. And it was just never good logic. No one ever really gave me any real yeah, it was always kind of reefer madness nonsense kind of stuff. Have you ever you watched know? the trailer for Reefer Madness? By yes, way? it's 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 hilarious. <laughs> if, whoever's listening, if you've never watched it, it's on YouTube. It's it's really fun to watch. I mean, just it's to incredible. Get that even even from from that to the, the, you know, this is your brain on drugs, you know, yeah. uh, thing to you know, it was all this kind of thing where where a lot of it, so much of it, is just not logic based. And one of the biggest components that is a real consideration is that this is extremely inconvenient for law enforcement, right, in terms of yep. making sure people are adhering to um, uh, driving under influence for a whole host of reasons. Now, again, as a constitutional person, I think inconvenience is one of the very worst reasons to deny somebody a right. Yeah. But it's a real reality. So as you guys are shifting the mind state and going from hunting this thing down yep. <laughs> for your whole career, to, you know, now trying to figure out how to be a party to it or how to find a whatever gray area in that. Yeah. How are you guys managing that? What does something like this represent for, like, the time and energy that it sucks up? So here's what's kind of nice about being a police chief as opposed to an elected official. <laughs> right. Like, uh, uniform has no political affiliation. Right, 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 right. right. It, it has no religious affiliation. It's, the only affiliation it has is to the rules in, of the land and the Constitution right. of the United States. Right, so the people have have spoken, and I I knew this would happen in my career. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised that it happened this soon. I was like, oh, I think I said when it came up on the ballot, I'm like, yeah, it'll happen in the next mm -hmm. probably the next election cycle is when mm -hmm. it'll come through. But you see, the people have spoken, right? And like, well, how can that be? Like, how could well because there's enough responsible quotation mm -hmm. mark like is is society would say people who have had a really good vacation. <laughs> to Denver right. or Las Vegas. Or right? Jamaica. Or whatever. Jamaica. Right? Yeah. We're like, oh, no, I want, I want this. Like, this yeah. is something I want. Yeah. And, and if you're going to put it on the ballot, I'm going to vote for it. Right. Right. And so, so it really, we've been down this road before. It just hasn't been marijuana. It's uh, rules change and the people speak about what they want and what mm -hmm. they don't want. Even look at DUI standards from where they were a long time ago where, I mean, really, you had to just be sloppy fall down Man. to get a DUI. Yeah. Right. Well they tighten the reins a little bit and that's an 08. And I can assure you at an 08 you should not be driving. Right. Right. For like, sure. You're, yeah. you're, but if you think about the standards were higher. Even think about like a DUI on a you used to be able to get a DUI on a horse or a bicycle. Yeah, time, I remember right? that. So the legislatures change laws and we look at them like, okay, well that doesn't apply anymore. Uh every July we get the legislative updates. So we're actually pretty prepared to mm -hmm. adjust and pivot. The other piece of it is is that Marijuana really, like, we've been looking at methamphetamine, fentanyl, prescription drugs. Alcohol. Alcohol. <laughs> like, like, again, there's a lot of things out there, but if you look at uh, marijuana, marijuana for years has been a PR bond in town now. Mm -hmm. Like, just possession of two ounces or less has been a PR bond. There's diversionary programs set up. Like, we've mm -hmm. been transitioning within the judicial system for quite some time to look at marijuana a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Marijuana just sometimes goes along with methamphetamine and other mm. drugs because sometimes when people are dealing that they're dealing with a little bit of everything. So when we get the, the ruling down, we're like, okay, well, let's, let's transition because really we're putting a lot more of our enforcement efforts into um, 
what we're seeing right now with um, uh, fentanyl. Yeah. Huge amounts of pills. I mean, we, we just had a recent cocaine bust, which is unheard of for, for, for this right. part of the country. Right. Um, again, the 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 really scary thing are these these uh, M30s or these kind of like um, synthetic oxys mm-hmm. that are actually fentanyl. And some of these and, things are one hitter quitters. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you don't get a second chance. Like as a kid, they always told you about Len Bias, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Len Bias took cocaine once and he died. And yeah, that can happen. But these pills are the same thing. Yeah. Right. And so we've kind of like law enforcement, whether you know it or not, has kind of been shifting towards okay, well, what's what's that, mm-hmm. right? And how do we impact that? Because methamphetamine, again, we talk about the mental health crisis and things are there. Meth has absolutely compounded that with the damage it's done to people's brain, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just, it's, it's a different thing. So we, we're ready to pivot, to change. Yeah. Things are already changing. And honestly, the will of the people, as you said, if the people vote for it and the legislators hand it down, here's where we get to kind of take it with the legal staff and say, how do we work this out? Mm-hmm. Right now we're trying to work out the medicinal piece because it's an incomplete piece, right? Seems like there's a yeah. lot of gaps. <laughs> <laughs> so we're waiting for some final stuff, but we're, we're really looking at it and saying, okay, well, what's next? But again, we're looking at the challenges of, of these different drugs right now anyway. And again, marijuana for the past several years, especially you get booked in, you get booked out. We were, yeah. we were almost to the point where it was a ticket. Then yeah. COVID, some of that stuff changed. And well, it's, it's one of those things level. like when you're talking about it, like, you know, when you guys are talking about this, uh, make sure nothing's blowing up here. Yep. Um, when you're talking about this designer synthetic stuff, like staying on top of this stuff yeah. is somebody moves one element, it's legal now. Yeah. Well, it's a different thing. Well, it, it, it's bizarre, <laughs> but, but here's what we kind of have to come back to is we can chase, we can play whack-a-mole yeah. with these different drugs. And I can, if I look at the trends, we will probably have record seizures across the board this year um, on everything except marijuana because mm-hmm. that's simply not right. where it's at anymore. Right. right. That's not where the emphasis is. Right. And, um, but you know what? My guess is too, we'll set record overdose deaths this year too, mm-hmm. right? Because we are just one piece of this whole thing and we can pull all the drugs off the street, but for more, we'll still make it through. We can't enforce and the cops are mature enough to know that we can never fully mm-hmm. enforce this. But if we weren't there keeping people honest, well, well then what would happen? Mm-hmm. Cause like law abiding citizens sometimes just need the law to be there for them to hold the line. Right. But if it was gone, they'd be like, well, you know, I'm going to do this now. Right. right. But, um, but we can look at it and say, okay, well, this isn't impacting it. We're still having 22-year-olds or younger pop these pills and have their mother find them dead in the basement. Yeah. Right? And that's where, like, for me as law enforcement, you talk about impactful calls, I can never forget the cries of parents on these overdose mm. calls. Yeah, bro. Right? So one call in particular is just burned in my head, mm-hmm. right? We're coming in in this kid's lifeless body. Mm. and his mom comes home and finds him. Mm. And that's where the anguish is. And I want to tell these kids, before you pop that pill, look your mom in the eye. Hello. And imagine her coming home to your dead body because that's the risk you're taking right now. And I think it's, it's a bigger issue than just law enforcement. Way and people, bigger. Right? And I'm, again, we can pull record amounts off the streets. Kids will still be dying yeah. because maybe we're not equipping them with the proper mindset, the proper tools to say okay talk to your kids about this and right and i'd i'd love for everybody to talk to a mother of an overdose victim 
mm-hmm. and then then decide if that high is worth it. Mm. Uh, you know, I just yeah. that's really big, yeah. and, and especially when when people are not finding those highs in other things like music, education, yeah. and sports and things of that nature. You see, start to see those things diminish. You yep. know, I coach you football, and and sometimes I go, you know. Uh, uh, to to different schools, and and I'm seeing some of the conditions that their field is in, and the equipment yep. that they have, and and it's two coaches to sixty plus kids, and all yep. these other type of things. And I'm thinking like, you wanna you wanna keep these kids from popping pills and doing whatever. Like this is how you do it. Yep. This is where you do it at. And a lot of times those things are under resourced and undermanned. There's not a lot of people who are raising their hands saying I'm going to do it. I don't have kids. I've been coaching it for twelve years. Yep. You know what I mean? I don't have kids, but I know what this does for kids, and I know that I want the kids in my community to be safe, healthy, and responsible and, and, and contributors, you know? And so yep. I'm willing to do my part because that's something there. I want to press that a little bit further because it 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 is no it is not lost on me, obviously, that when I do go to see these schools that are not where they need to be or sometimes don't have what they have, and I'm not even talking about the instruction. I'm just simply talking about some of the different support and programs. And they all tend to be Title IX schools. Yep. Um, they tend to be schools that are free and reduced lunches. Kids don't, you know, that type of thing. And, again, you can look at it and you can just see circumstances and demographics and trends. And you could just see the chart of where some of these folks are going to end up. And it's a rinse and repeat type of situation. So I want to talk about that piece of it just real quick. And I think that dovetails into the other piece, which is what I call, you know, um, baton initiatives, which yeah. is ones where you can fully expect to get it handed off to you and you're going to hand it off to someone else. And one of those things for the police department is diversity. Yep. People have been trying to crack this nut for, Ever. <laughs> you know what I mean, yep. for a long time. I think the two are parallel because, you know, obviously having healthy relationships with your law enforcement and having it reflect the community, which is quickly evolving and then how we're dealing with some youth in these situations that that are in circumstances that are mostly socioeconomic, but those socioeconomic yep. situations seem to be pretty consistent with the dem- demographics as yep. well. So let's talk about that piece a little bit. Which is just a, hu- a huge, uh, that's a huge topic. Yeah. So we could just, just do a separate thing. <laughs> Five minutes. So we, we talk about, about, um, about the diversity piece within law enforcement. Yeah. And again, um, it's a conversation for teaching, mm-hmm. the fire department, nursing, like every other uh, industry too, right? It's, it, it becomes front and center a little bit more with law enforcement because of just recent events and the ongoing conversation about diversity. Law enforcement ends to be one of the first points we end up. Now, again, we've talked about, okay, press releases, right? Uh, we want, we're looking to hire more diversity. We just put out a press release. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Expect something to happen. And I'm like, well, that's just really naive. That's just not going to, that's not going to affect anything. Mm-hmm. That's simply not going to affect anything. And even recently talking to some college kids uh, of a diverse background, I'm like, hey, I want you to be a cop. No, nah, not doing it. Because right? <laughs> even for, for everybody right now, being a uniform cop is not a desirable position. It is not. Numbers are yeah. down around the country. Mm-hmm. It's happened before, but there's just not a big pool there anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, well, how do we start looking at this a little bit differently and really Again, we look for the society demands us to do this with the easy button. Right. That we just go like this. Oh, yeah. We just hired uh, eight uh, different minorities for the mm-hmm. police department. Pat us on the back. It doesn't happen that way. Right. And it's superficial anyway. It's superficial anyway. So who we're targeting right now, right, if we really think about it, 
I got to be going after kids right now that may not pay off for 10 years down the road. Mm -hmm. Like this might not pay off for 10 years down the road because the short game simply might not be there. Right? Mm -hmm. It's hard. We can't even get full staffed right now. Right. And so how are we going to now all of a sudden add this diversity piece on top of it? If there just isn't the pool for us to pull from, we have to build the pool. The pool mm -hmm. has to be built. And that doesn't, uh, has to be built with partnerships though. For sure. Because imagine you're a 14 year old kid. Let's just say you're an African immigrant kid. Mm -hmm. And you tell your buddies or your mom or dad or your neighborhood that you want to be a cop. They're going to destroy you. They're going to destroy you, right? On top of that, for many of them, first generation, second generation, they haven't even really been able to frame the difference between being a cop in their home country and a cop here, mm -hmm. right? And they maybe even have limited interactions with a cop, but they do carry with a bunch of baggage and a bunch of stuff they've seen, which has framed their preconceived notions about police officers and who they are and what they do. Um, now that kid, by the time he's 22, is never going to want to be a cop. But how can we start interacting with the kids at a young age and say, okay, well, maybe that would be an okay profession for me. So one way, Andy Seaborn coaching a group of mm -hmm. Eritrean refugees in soccer. It's a great story. In fact, you could probably have a podcast just with him talking about his soccer team. And we will. I would yeah. go out there and talk <laughs> to a soccer team. Yeah, yeah. Because yes. yeah. Yeah, you, you helped with this too. And, uh, you know, okay – Maybe nothing comes of this, but some people may see, hey, here's a lieutenant for the police department volunteering mm -hmm. his time with these kids. We had another initiative coming up, Camp Postcard. I don't know if you've heard about this. I haven't heard about this one, I don't think. So, again, still June next year, mm -hmm. we will take, with the VOA's help, about 50 to 60 kids to a camp that's basically counseled and staffed by police officers. Mm where we can have an interaction in a fun setting away from the mm. city and just I want it. Yeah, and engage in people just as human yeah. beings. And like, you know what, for many of these kids, we talk about opportunity, like a lot of people in town, they just take for granted going to the lake. Yep. Right? Yep, going to the lake, no yeah, big deal. No big deal, right? Never even heard of it. Like, like what, you guys go to the lake and do this because we haven't had this chance because mm -hmm. we've barely left the city limits of Sioux Falls, mm -hmm. right? So how can we build these relationships away from law enforcement that will pay dividends down the road? And then how do we get into our schools? We have our SROs there. Mm -hmm. But, and again, I need to, we're just working out ideas at this point. For sure. Right. But how do we get an audience with kids in high school that say, hey, here's the public safety options you have. Here's police. Here's fire. Here's nursing. Here's community health. Mm -hmm. Here's uh, ambulance, EMS, emergency medical services. How do we create for them within the school some sort of, like we have other CTE type programs. And again, if, I'm not promising any yet because we're just trying to mm -hmm. work this out sure. a little bit about how we get to this point. Well, how do I turn them on to this idea and then build that into something that feeds right into our Southeast tech or right into mm -hmm. our local universities where there's support both financially. And this is a whole complex piece you have to build. And it's going to take for a long time to build it. For sure. But how do we create this pathway to law enforcement that isn't your traditional pathway? Right. Where I go to high school, I go to college, I apply. Because that just isn't going to be feasible for some right. kids to get there. But then on top of that, all this still probably, but the community itself has to raise people up and say, we're sure. going to support this person to go down this road. And so I went to the Ethiopian Day uh, Festival mm -hmm. and got to talk to a bunch of different people there. And this table, this group of college kids, high school kids are sitting on a table. And I just got done eating. And if you ever had Ethiopian food? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I typically like stuff with some strong spices to mm -hmm. it, but, but they gave me the mild stuff this time, which I was okay with. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm like, hey, who wants to be a cop? 
nobody. I'm like, nobody raises their hands. Nobody takes it. We're like, I want people from your community to be in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And I think people need to hear that message. That, they have to. That from they, you. From me. And, and right? other people. But yeah. that means a lot. But I want that. And, like, and again, this is where we have to partner with different community groups. Because imagine, imagine this kid, this five-year-old kid, right? He, it's still his dream, just like it was mine to be in law mm-hmm. enforcement. But because of different societal pressures and different, just different, like that dream gets chopped down along mm-hmm. the way. Like I can only imagine if that was my story, right? If that dream of being a cop was just chopped down for me oh, at every single level, right? And then I'd see all this stuff. And this was just stuff that never would happen. Well, it's one of so, those things that I always wanted to share with people. And then, and then uh, you know, we'll, we'll get you out of here. I know you got to get back on the streets. But um, I, I, what, I, what I always try to explain to people was, the code that I come from in the environment was was so the relationship is so toxic, so removed, like I mean miles away. Like it's not even, you know, it's like you would think about a foreign invader. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. th- you're not yeah. thinking about that person as a human or whatever they're yeah. just or whatever. And I used to tell people when, you know, because I've had the pleasure of of working with multiple chiefs over a few different administrations. And the thing I used to explain this is like, listen, the code that I come from. I'm not telling the cop anything. Yep. Like that's just it's in my brain like religion like in is in is just just what it is. Yeah. But I would tell John, yep. I'll tell Bob if somebody comes over and flashes a thing in my face and it's like you over here who did what and where did they go? I'm not telling you anything. But a person goes, "Hey Bonnie, listen. Somebody just stole Miss Johnson's car." Blah, blah. Yep. I was like, "Look, he's around the corner. He got on a striped <laughs> shirt. I think he got on Converse. Da da. I'll point you to him." Cause forget him, I'm here for Miss Johnson. Yep. Let's go get him. I want my neighborhood. This 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 kind of idea that that people of color are more com- are more comfortable with their neighborhoods being unsafe than other people are is a is a strange thing. It is a strange, yeah. But it's one of those things where it's just not what you're doing is about what you're undoing. And I think one of the reasons why people were so excited for you is because you were visiting mosques before the cameras were. In. You were talking to people with different languages, trying to expand your worldview, yep. doing all of these things way before the cameras were on, way before you were up for the gig, when you were a training officer, when you were a SWAT sergeant, many stages of your career that you were doing this type of work way before you were being considered for the position yeah. of chief. Yeah. And I think that pays dividends. You can't undo that. And that's why this rare thing where people are like, yay, we want him, which just doesn't happen. Yep was available because of all of the stuff that you did prior to that, before the cameras were on, before people were writing articles about it, before it was in Vogue, before yep. George Floyd, all those type of things. And a part of it is that. Then the other piece of it is, is how do we like really put that call out to be able to say, when you're voting for someone, don't just vote for them because they're going to build you a bridge or pave a road or yep. lower taxes or whatever, but you're also voting for this person because of how integral they plan on being in the work that has to be done to make this yep. really actually happen and to make people really feel safe and comfortable participating in that. The other thing I'll add is, is that, you know, we do our Leaders of Tomorrow program, but the suite of skills that we actually want people to have to do this very, very difficult job, the idea that you can get that in six weeks, you can get that in six months, <laughs> Just yeah, that one of those things, you know. Again, when you're talking about military, or whatever they got, JROTC, you know, they yep. got people because you have to start developing these skills. Commu- you gotta have, you gotta be a black belt in communication. 
Yep. You got to be a black belt in de-escalation and emotional control and impulse control and, and resilience and check, 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 all of these things. You can't get that in six weeks. No. <laughs> That's no. not a thing. And so, you know, how do we start to identify those folks and help them as a community develop those skills over time? And so the, so the cop is not the gun and the badge. It's the person that wields it. Yep. It's the person that has those skill sets, you know, because right now, most of the issues that people have with police is not with the person in the uniform, it's the uniform. And that's the unfortunate part because yeah. you don't ever get to know the person in the well, uniform. And you've seen that around the country now. It's like there was a lot of move to defund things last mm-hmm. year, right? Because that was the reaction to what happened. And, and they looked at the uniform, they looked at different things and started stripping away funding. Not here. Like, mm-hmm. like we kind of did the opposite. We're like, yeah, we got a dilapidated training center from 1978. We got to pay the bill now, right? Mm-hmm, right. Right, right. And now you're seeing, okay, re, refunding. We overshot that one. <laughs> we overshot yeah. that one, right? Yeah. And everybody's kind of like, was like, well, yeah, this is the problem. This is the problem. This mm-hmm. is what we need to do. Um, and then I just saw today Seattle is now offering $25,000 hiring bonuses for cops. Which is bonkers. <laughs> I mean, bonkers. Ne- never would have imagined that, right? Ever. Because... Because we kind of overshot maybe what the other issues are, mm-hmm. right? And the other issues are, okay, law enforcement still has its role. It was doing its role. It was mm-hmm. a necessary role. Did it need refinement? Yes. Of course. Right? Because things always need refinement. Of course. All they time. always need refinement. Like I said, um, however, what were we looking at on top of this, right? Mm-hmm. How are we making the impact in the Title IX schools that you said in other areas of society and not necessarily by doing it by chopping the legs off law enforcement, but mm-hmm. by just doubling down in our communities, right? To say, okay, well, maybe this is how we can work some of these issues yeah, out. Fund. So, yeah. Not just, not yeah. necessarily deep fund. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we, we are a community that doesn't care for taxes. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're, we're, you know what I mean? We're yeah. a community that doesn't yeah. think about those things. But you know what? Like, I'm not a fan of taxes, but I'm a fan of initiatives being properly yep. funded that make the community the community that I want to live in. And yep. that's one of the things that people, we talked about the nuance of that uh, 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 during the time where people were thinking about defunding. And our thing was, it's like the concept of pulling things away that should not be in the purview, yep. or at least not in the primary capacity, yep. to be able to say, okay, community folks, homelessness. Yep. We need some folks here. Hey, mental health. Hey, we need some folks here. Youth. We need some folks here. We need these type of things to fund these things. And and really, in an in offer way for a lot of people, that's what Defund the Police actually represented, which is a transition to more community programs to be able to fill in some of those gaps, which I think most people that I've talked to, at least with this police department, and I recognize for sure that ours is not like a lot of yep. yeah. the rest of them. So I don't even want to even let people think that I'm comparing the two because yep. they're, they're not. Um but to do those things. So as a final thought, what, what is the pitch, especially under your leadership? What is the pitch for you to have it map out the way you feel like it should to really work? Because where I will hang up some, um, I shouldn't say blame, but, but I, I think there is some, um, well, I'll say blame, to, to, to put on some leaders in a sense is, not being transparent yep. about what has to happen. You know, there's this thing, a good soldier thing, which is like, well, if there's a job, we'll do it because that's what we do. Yep. 
versus saying, nah, no, <laughs> that's a you thing. Like, well, and I think it's, again, the roadmap is, is that there are no easy solutions, mm-hmm. right? But we have to be honest about what we can actually accomplish sometimes. And I think, and this started back in when the Dudley neighborhood kind of mm-hmm. blossomed, I guess we'll call it, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of angry people about what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think law enforcement's instinct at that time was, if you present us a problem, we'll be the good soldier, we'll go solve it, right? Well, quickly mm-hmm. you're like, no, we can't solve this problem. And we started just being honest with that community mm-hmm. and said, hey, we can't solve this issue. This is an issue of alcoholism and homelessness. Or, sorry, mental health, right? This mm-hmm. is, these are the drivers, and we are not equipped to do, deal with that. Mm-hmm. In fact, let's talk about other solutions. Let's talk about other things because we can't enforce our way out of this problem. And I think sometimes it's been the tendency of law enforcement to like, you know what? If you hand us a problem, we're problem solvers. Yeah. That's what we're paid to do. And so anything that wasn't being taken care of by society would trickle down to us. And we'd like, well, we'll give our best effort with the tools we have in our tool bag. Now, we have a pretty amazing tool bag. Yeah. Like I said, outside of mental health professionals, over 40% of our officers are CIT trained, and they're really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. They're really good at that. And so we started expanding our tool bag. But I think it comes with really, you said, a transparent dialogue about what the issues are. And I'll tell you, yeah, we can't arrest our way or seize our way out of the drug problem with kids. Mm-hmm. We need to partner with you to educate kids that they're not making this mistake. Or how are we giving resources? Or how are we, okay, you know what, you may get arrested, but I'd rather see you in a diversionary program than go to prison. Yes. Right? Yes. You, I'd rather see you go to vet court, DUI court, drug court, all these other courts yes. that are established. I want you to be successful. And there's a misconception that I think cops, especially like, like people think we want to arrest everybody. Right. We are simple creatures in that we would rather get paid the same amount of money amount of money, and do less work. <laughs> right, yeah. we're, we're just like everybody else, right, right? Right, Like we, I would prefer that we could slow down our hiring because crime rates would dip. For sure. Like we don't want things to happen. And even I think I said, you know, it's just we want people to be successful. Mm-hmm. And we can say that. And how can we partner with the community to come up with new ideas or resources because we're not the only holders of them. But I want to see this community impacted for the positive. But also know and recognize that there will be bumps along the way. Things will not always go smoothly. There will be chaos. Yeah. Chaos happens. Mm-hmm. Because human beings, that's just what happens, right? Things don't always go right. Well, how can we be open and have that dialogue and still talk things out and work things through and understand, you know what? We're all in this together. This isn't an us versus them. Yeah. Right? This isn't all of us together working on issues, not just police, not just city government but the community. And then it comes back to Angela, right? Who we mm-hmm. talked about at the start of this. Like Angela can look me straight in the eyes and, and I, when I say her, well, what are you doing to help the community? And she's like, well, here's my list. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah. she could be able to say, but I think for many people, we have to talk about empowering them to say, okay, what are you doing for the community that's outside of your immediate comfort and comfort zone where you're giving back and pouring in to just one kid's life or one issue mm-hmm. where you're spending a little bit of time making yourself uncomfortable and going out and doing it. And I think that's, again, there's a lot of things to talk about, but I think as we travel along, being open and honest about law enforcement's role mm. in society, what we're capable of fixing, right, right, <laughs> right, and what we're not capable of and how we work together to, to work those issues out. And again, I think, um, again, we'll, it'll be interesting to see the next 10 years as we continue our growth and continue um, 
just what happens and how we as a community pour back in harder than ever now, how we double down in our yeah. efforts and make sure that we maintain Sioux Falls, the Sioux Falls we know, and maybe even make it better. Let's make it happen, man. Yep. Will you come back for a part two? Oh, absolutely. Sweet. Yeah. I got to get Andy in here too. That, yeah. That soccer yeah. program, working on a soccer league. Yep. So that's going to be super exciting. That's yep. going to be magical. Uh, for everybody checking this out, make sure you like and subscribe so you can get all of this great content when you get it first. This is a leadership podcast, and it's so important that you think about leaders beyond just CEOs and people who are helping to run your community. So get out there, participate. Make sure you stay up with us at letsthink3d.com or check us out on all of our socials at Think3D Solutions, and then we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Bonnie.